St. Louis Post-Dispatch writer and author of three books, Benjamin Hockman joins us to talk everything Cardinals possible, whether it be Yachty or Molina, and pretty much everything else St. Louis. Also, the Chatters Box today is the top five pitchers in the NL Central. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Welcome back, everybody. We are having another off-season recap. This time, we have our friend Benjamin Hockman on. Benjamin, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Everyone at home pretty much knows how this goes on by now, but in case you're new to the show, in case you know a couple of Benjamins, friends or family listen to this, we're going to be going over the St. Louis Cardinals and what their opening day roster is going to be like. We're going to start off with future Hall of Famer Yadier Molina. I'll give you a few minutes to talk about Yadi and just what he means to this team, this city, and just this organization. We know he's going to be a starter. After you talk about him, who's going to be the backup catcher to start on opening day with him? Because he's going to need some breaks. What's funny is you say that, that he's going to need some breaks, and a lot of people uh, agree with you. The one person that disagrees is Yadier himself, who uh, famously Instagram that he prepares for 162 regular season games and 11 wins in the postseason. Uh, oh, and an all-star game every year. Um, he, he's exactly ageless. what you want to hear from your franchise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's ageless in his mind. And, um, look last season, he had one of his better offensive seasons. It was, or maybe not like as good as his, uh, MVP candidacy seasons, but he, he was, he was pretty good for St. Louis and he played a bunch of ball games. So, uh, I mean, I can answer the, the backup thing real quick. It's going to be Francisco Pena, Tony Pena's son, who for the second year in a row will be here in St. Louis and Francisco will play seldomly. And he is very good friends with Yadier and they seem to have a, a, a good mix of guys uh, a good group of guys that include Yachty and him and Marcelo Zuna and uh, they hang out together and uh, oh, Jairo Munoz as well so it's a, it's a it's a neat little fraternity they have and uh, they're always talking baseball they stay late after games sometimes just hang out in the clubhouse and talk baseball uh, often in Spanish and uh, it's, it's pretty cool so yeah Yadier Molina the thumping heart of the St. Louis Cardinals a future Hall of Famer like you said I'm sure some people will point at some advanced stats and and they, they find ways to poke holes in, in his candidacy. Uh, but the fact is, he was the best defensive catcher of his generation. And he put up some pretty important offensive seasons, too. And he has uh, multiple World Series appearances. Uh, it, it, it would be pretty bonkers to think that the modern voter uh, doesn't put Yadier in. Uh, heading into this year, though, um, you know, he's a year older. And, and, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, the old... It's almost a dumb saying, but it's the old saying, a father time is undefeated, but uh, we don't know uh, if that battle will happen in 2019 with Yadier. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with nine gold gloves, a couple of platinum gloves, two World Series, and nine All-Star appearances. But yeah. it's, the, the question is almost how long. And I think you, with this Paul Goldschmidt trade sending Carson Kelly away, I think you put your trust in Yadier that he's going to be here for a couple more seasons because Carson was sitting back there, you know, waiting on his time. Not exactly, you know, lighting it up when he did get to play. Who is the future after Yadier? I mean, 
I know the number five prospect last year is still is still in the system. Uh, I'm never going to be able to say Andrew's last name, but he hit well in <laughs> double and triple A and limited ABs sure. in Springfield. But is he the future? What's going on at the catcher position post Yadier Molina? Yeah, the uh, the Yadier uh, Y A D I space H E I R. There we go. We're big dorks in St. Louis. Um, the Yadier for Yadier. Uh, is is the aforementioned Andrew Kisner? Uh, I I believe there's an N like K N, and at the N the first N is silent, so it's Kisner, and uh, he's going to start in AAA in Memphis this year, and uh, they they hope he gets a bunch of at bats, and he is the guy they're they're grooming now to uh, to take over if Yadier indeed uh, plays 2019 and 2020 and calls it a career. Yeah, there we go. Uh, let's go ahead and move to first base. We just talked about Carson Kelly. He was in the deal to get this guy. You trade away uh, one of my personal favorite players in the entire league in Luke Weaver, and you also trade Andy Young to get possibly the best first baseman of his generation and Paul Goldschmidt. Six all-star appearances, three gold gloves, four silver sluggers. UFA after 2019, though. But the big thing about Paul is you get consistency. He's played 96% of his games after his rookie season. What kind of buzz is it in St. Louis right now, and are they excited about Paul Goldschmidt? Oh yeah, um, it's funny you, when you mentioned the players that were traded. Though there's, there's a funny little story. There's a sportscaster here in town named Bob Ramsey, and uh, he, he goes, somebody goes, "Hey, the Cardinals just got just got Goldschmidt," and he goes, "Oh my God, that's awesome! Who did they who did they trade?" And the guy said, "Luke Weaver, uh, um, Carson Kelly, and DeYoung." And he said A N D Y Young, but he thought he spent Paul and Paul DeYoung, the shortstop. He's like, oh, that's too much. For one year, <laughs> oh my God, Andy Young. Oh, but uh, and of course, uh, it was Andy Young who uh, we're okay with uh, with leaving. Um, <laughs> of course, there's a lot of excitement about getting a guy who, as Alex Reyes said uh, at the winter warm-up, uh, ever since I started hearing his name, it was attached with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. Um, Goldschmidt is a, a winning baseball player. He's got gold glove pedigree. Though, talking to some people uh, that cover the Arizona Diamondbacks, they said his defense maybe uh, got a, a tad worse last season, and some of the defensive metrics back that up, so we'll see. But Basically, the narrative uh, here in St. Louis is they finally got a uh, a clean a uh, not clean up guy, but just like a, a a marquee slugger. And they thought they got that last year with Marcelo Zuna, who I'm sure we'll talk about shortly in the podcast. Um, but but now they've got a they've got a guy Goldschmidt for one season, uh, who's coming off just another great Paul Goldschmidt season. He's one of those guys who's like his worst year is better than most guys' best year. And uh, so if he can stay healthy. Uh, they think he'll be an, an enormous part of the St. Louis Cardinals. And moreover, uh, the, owner, the ownership, the owner himself has been public saying that he wants to sign Goldschmidt to a long-term deal. Um, so who knows, maybe they'll even get that done uh, during spring training, the optimist says. Yeah, well, you you got to think about Col- Paul Goldschmidt this way. He was hitting less than 200 through the month of May last year and still wound up top six in MVP voting. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Right. The guy just figures it out every year. I mean, he is lost in this generation list with guys like Joey Votto, who's another big name first baseman that is arguably going to be a Hall of Famer. Paul Goldschmidt might get on that, you know, not first ballot, but 
he will be in the conversation, you know, third, fourth ballot through because he literally is the model, the model of consistency. He's going to be 30, 100 every year. And before last year, he's playing pretty good defense for a, you know, bigger slugger mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, first base, I mean, your corner infield is pretty much set next year and hopefully for the future with both guys getting an extension. We'll talk about Carpenter later. Mm-hmm. Another first baseman you got on the roster listed is Jose Martinez. Where does he kind of fit into this, you know, with the addition with Goldsmith? It's it's pretty interesting because I even wrote about this. I remember like when the calendar turned to September, he was only, I think, 16 percentage points uh, behind the batting leader in the in the National League. Basically, he was like he was like in the hunt for the batting title in September. That's how good of an offensive season uh, Jose Martinez was having last year. And obviously, I, I, I know and we all know that other stats are, are more important than batting average, but it's, you know, it still means the guy's getting a bunch of hits and, uh, and he was, and now he's been, um, so I guess what I'm getting at is most teams, if you have a guy like that, like the next year, it's like, all right, he's back for more. It's exciting with Jose. It's like, Oh gosh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll stash him on the bench and have him, you know, play here and there. Uh, the, the manager, Mike Schultz is pretty confident that because Martinez can play, uh, outfield and first base that he'll get in most games, even if it is just one pinch hit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy that a guy with those numbers has kind of become an afterthought uh, as opposed to a key cog. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to be your, you know, your quote unquote sixth man off the bench. If you want yeah. to use an NBA term, but he can go in the outfield he can go in first base. And I mean, hell, if he's got to get a third base real quick for the extra innings, I'm sure he'll be able to do that too. He's it not sounds like Marwin. that unathletic. Yeah. He's a Marwin Gonzalez. He's a, you know, he's a Brock Holt type of player. It's turning out to be, and that's not a bad thing to have. You got him on the contract. What? Three more years after this. So yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think I make more than he does. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You, you honestly might at this point. And uh, <laughs> <Come on>. <laughs> <laughs> so, We'll jump to uh, second base because I know Austin's going to really want to talk about third base, and I want him to as well. Two guys I have questions on. One is Colton Wong, and one is Jed. And is it Grico or Jerko. 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 Oh, it's yeah. Jerko. Yeah, this right. is one I of those here. names, Dave. It is one of those. It's one of those names where when you say it, I get it. Dave I read is the worst it, with lost. names ever. So <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm off. I normally names. give the disclaimer before. I've been good today. So. You got Jed and you got Colton. Colton not had the best offensive season last year. You got him locked up for two more years with a club option after that. And mm-hmm. Jed yet this year and next year, also with the club option next year. Third base is locked up like we talked about. Are these guys going to flip off between second base together? Is it going to be a platoon of one going to be there? Is one going to be kind of like a utility guy? Are they going to go switch off lefties and righties? What do you think is happening there? It, it's my understanding that it's Colton Wong's job. And the the reason is defensively, he is a marginal player. He's, he's, a, a, he's wizard. a wizard. And and here in St. Louis, we don't throw around the term wizard too lightly because we were home to baseball's wizard for, for many years at shortstop. But if you some of those plays that Colton Wong made last season were just absurd. And uh, and he, I kind of describe him as a as a basketball point guard when he's when he's dishing on the on the double play to second base he's he's, he's very flashy and if you look at uh, defensive runs saved and, and some of those numbers I mean they're through the roof uh, you could argue that he should have won the Gold Glove last year which he did not uh, but that only makes him hungrier and uh, as for his offense two seasons ago he was pretty good 
Uh, he gets injured almost every year, though, which is frustrating. Um, but heading heading into 2018, last year, there was a lot of optimism. Oh, maybe this is the year he's an all-star even. And defensively, he was a defensive all-star, if you will. But he started off so poorly at the bat. Um, him, he and Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter were just – they were in the 100s. It was terrible. But Colton dug his way out. And if you look at his splits from last year – how he did. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I suppose after July or after June, uh, he, he hit, if you will, regularly. And uh, so his total season stats aren't great, but at least there was optimism. As for Jed Jerko, here's another guy that, you know, probably could start for some major league teams. He's got a lot of pop. I think he hit 30 home runs just two seasons ago, um, but he will be a, a, a masher off the bench. Yeah, and the amount of money that you're paying Colton Wong, he's another guy that it seems like they bought out his RBers, and that's not a bad idea. I mean, he's a three-and-a-half war player. He gets he gets you your at-bats. Jerko, like you said, could be a starter on a lot of major league teams. I'm sure San Diego would love to have a guy like that back. But yeah. uh, if we're looking into the into the distant future, you know, you have a guy like Schrock down there. You have a guy like Urias. Where do these guys fit into the kind of the picture in the future? That's a great question. I I, um, I think Colton is going to be the second baseman here for a long time, and uh, he might even sign another extension if he has a good year this year. He, he loves St. Louis. He's really become part of the community. He uh, he has a, a charity that that's very active, and I know many players have many charities and across baseball, but uh, he he seems to really like being part of this organization. Um, so I I just I just pencil him in for i mean i can't after the contracts expired but in my head he's he's there for for quite a while and uh i don't know if a, a max shocker or who or tommy edmund or whomever will uh supplant him anytime soon shortstop so we have paul de young you know another guy i love when teams buy out their rb years we could talk about paul de young but i really want to talk about matt, matt carpenter <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to skip your guy right there? What a second half. Like, what the heck was going on there? Was there anything that seemed to attribute to kind of the turnaround that he had? I mean, there was a stretch there to where he was the best player in baseball, it seemed like. And it was Matt Carpenter home run watch just to see what he did that day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing we can, can attribute to that was the salsa that he made oh, that's gotta be salsa. Salsa. an eight. Yeah. I mean, it's the only thing uh, if, for those listening that don't know, he uh, has a garden in his backyard in St. Louis and he grew the ingredients to make salsa. And on the first day he tried it, he hit, I believe three home runs at Chicago and well, however the story goes. And soon the rest of the Cardinals were eating the salsa too. And they had an amazing July and August. Um, but to be honest, and Matt will tell you this. And if we really, you know, get on baseball savant or whatever website you need to and, and look like he, I mean, he didn't, he was hitting his, his numbers were terrible uh, early on in the year, but he was still hitting the ball pretty hard and hitting it where he wanted to, uh, to an extent. Like it wasn't like he was striking out at a crazy abnormal rate or anything like that. So he kind of doubled down on his, on his hitting approach and just hoped and thought that throughout the course of six months, uh, things would even out. And um, once he got going, he got scorching, like you mentioned, and uh, it was a bunch of fun. And similar to Jose Martinez heading into September, talking about how maybe 
if he get, if he goes on a run and Jeanette and whomever goes down, maybe he wins the batting title. It was the same thing with Matt Carpenter and the MVP at that point in time in the year. But uh, Carpenter had a uh, had a definite lull that final year. Maybe he ran out of gas. I mean, we can we can assume different things. But I spoke to Matt Carpenter at the Cardinals winter warm up their their annual convention last weekend and uh, and or two weekends ago. Excuse me. And, and Matt was talking about how he hopes that. New hitting coach Jeff Albert and he uh, can get on the same page and, and cook up a plan to where he's more consistent. And maybe he's maybe he doesn't have one of those months where he hits 450, uh, but he has more months where he hits 310, if you will. Yeah, a little more consistency in his game there. Instead of going, you know, batting 200 for two months and then 500 for two months, he's going to even <laughs> it out around 3 320, and that that would be huge for the Cardinals as well. And you know, you could pencil him over there, and I think he's going to have another great year. And luckily, he's on the contract for two more year, one more year after this. So you don't have to worry about an extension yet. A guy that's locked up that Austin kind of touched on quickly was Paul DeYoung. I mean, he's going to be there for a while. He's, you know, his RBOs are bought out. Contract gets better and better every year. I mean, he he's locked in there, and I, he's obviously going to be a staple. So I'm going to skip over him and get to not skip over him, but we'll brush by that considering that we know he's staying. Mm-hmm. This outfield, I love yeah. this outfield when okay. they when they want to actually perform. And I say that because I drafted Marcelo Zuna very high in my fantasy league this year, <laughs> and uh, it didn't work out at the beginning, but it helped me out at the end. But Dexter Fowler locked up, just a great baseball player, great guy, you know, really good human. Three more years, sixteen point five. He ain't going anywhere. Ozuna, hopefully not going anywhere for a while for you guys. Avoided arbitration this year, signing the twelve point two five million. Next year, though, is a UFA. Hopefully, you get something that locked up there. Other than that, you have no one listed as big money for this outfield. Mm-hmm. You got a center fielder. You got a left fielder. Who's your start? Who's your regular and starting right fielder for the year? Yeah, so their plan is to move Dexter to right field and Harrison Bader, uh, the uh, the former Florida Gator, who had a a breakout season at least defensively last year. He had, I think, he led all outfielders in five-star catches he'll he'll start as the center fielder but i i say it like that because he doesn't he only hits one i think he only hits uh lefties well and he also struggles against the cubs and the brewers statistically <laughs> and he hmm, what teams are those those are those <laughs> divisional teams i think <laughs> <laughs> and moreover, uh, in September he had a he had a he had a downward uh, situation. So I like Harrison a lot. He's one of my favorite personalities on the team. They're marketing him more. Uh, he, he's he's because he's a speedster as well, and he's he's just fun to watch. And um, so he'll he'll start in center field, and and Dexter will be in right field. And yeah, we we all love Dexter's personality and uh, his accomplishments in the past. Last year was really tough for him. Uh, he told the post dispatch that he was suffering from depression and was really going through a tough time, both physically and mentally, during the 2018 season. The optimist says that he has, uh, you know, found his way out of that. At least he has said that. And uh, he honestly, like, he probably couldn't do worse if he tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at some of his stats from last year, I mean, they're, they're I mean. Not, I mean, I think he what he hit like 180 something, and you know, no slugging, um, a few walks. I mean, it was just an abysmal year 
for Dexter. Uh, and he is very fired up about coming back and, you know, reclaiming his spot as a team leader and a team producer. So we'll see what's Dexter. And so really, I mean, there's a lot of excitement about the outfield, but there's a lot of question marks too. Cause I just mentioned two players that are starting with question marks, but really, in my opinion, the biggest question mark on the entire St. Louis Cardinals offensive side of things is Marcelo Zuna who had a uh, uneven year last year, ruffled a lot of feathers in town when he um, uh, slept through a, a, a day game and came late. And um, it, like you said, he came on strong late in the year, but the, the, the thing that was the most problematic was his shoulder. He had, uh, he showed up basically with a bum shoulder, uh, was having trouble throwing and um, couldn't really throw all year. And, <laughs> So everyone's like, all right, well, surely he'll he'll get back on track this offseason. Well, the, the general manager, John Moselock, um, he had said just a couple weeks ago that he hadn't had much communication with Marcel, who was down in the Dominican Republic and not in uh, Jupiter, Florida, where they wished he was uh, getting rehab on his shoulder. So they didn't even know just how uh, well Marcel was feeling uh, at that point in time. And so once we get down to, to Jupiter, Florida for camp uh, in just a couple days or weeks here, uh, we're going to find out a lot about Marcelo Zuna and, and which Marcelo Zuna has arrived because he's the cleanup hitter for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we can talk about Goldschmidt, but uh, if you don't get anything out of that left field spot from an offensive production standpoint, uh, I, I don't know how much better the Cardinals are from last year. So before we get to the, the pitching side of things, is there a – position player prospect that you think will shock a lot of people in 2019 I mean you have a guy like Nolan Gorman who's pretty far away but is there a guy that stands out to you in the system position player wise that you just go yeah I think he's doing things in 2019 yeah the the name is Lane Thomas um he's an outfielder who they got from Toronto in 2017 and within 18 months he had cracked their 40-man roster um, so he's a guy who has some speed and, and can hit some homers too. Uh, I spoke to Tommy Edmond, uh, who I mentioned earlier, who's a, uh, infield prospect for the Cardinals. And he said in all of his years in college and pro baseball, he'd never seen a combination of power and speed like Lane Thomas. So Lane will start in triple a Memphis this year, but if Harrison Bader, you know, can't hit a curveball or what have you. Um, maybe Lane Thomas gets gets some uh, at bats, gets some starts uh, in center field for St. Louis. Yeah, there we go. So we're moving to starting pitching. This is when it gets a little interesting because I want to talk about before we you know hit on the sure things like Michaelis Waka guys like that. Let's talk about a guy that has a little bit of a question here, and that's Alex Reyes coming back off that injury. Only had one appearance in 2018 for the big league roster. What's going on with him? Is he better off being a reliever, or do they still have full confidence in him that he can be a starter in this league? Yeah, it's funny because when we had our, our pre-podcast meeting and you were saying uh, you wanted me to list five starters and then three key relievers, I the first thing that came to my mind was like, where or how do I talk about Alex Reyes? Because right now he's he's not slated to be one of the, the, the five starters. We'll see what happens. And he's not slated to be a closer or anything like that they're, they're gonna have to see what he can do 
and uh, they, they, we will all watch together the, uh, the scouts, the executives, his teammates, and and the media uh, to see what Alex can do uh, during spring. But um, the optimist says, and I, I say that a lot about the Cardinals, a lot of things have to go right. But if, if optimism is achieved, uh, this could be a pretty good team because we're talking about a guy in Alex Reyes that used to be the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, and he's still young. And, uh, of course, they're really high on him. So who knows? I mean, they, they expect him to pitch many, many innings for St. Louis this year, uh, probably as a starting pitcher. But I don't know if that means he's in the, uh, the late March rotation. Um, a lot will have to be determined in that regard. So you have 12th man product. You know, you have Michael Walker, Texas A&M kid. But what is the one through five looking like? You have a guy like Michael who was phenomenal last year, quietly amazing. Mm-hmm. What is the? How does the rotation fill out? Who is actually the ace of the staff? Because it's I feel like it's a legit question at this that. point. Yeah, I know that one. Well, I'm gonna, it's... Jump, in real, I'm gonna jump in real quick just to say sure. that the Carlos the Carlos Martinez contract will go down as one of the best contracts in baseball by 2023. Yeah. You can quote me on that. Carlos Martinez is a legitimate stud. And yeah. will be one of the best, a top five pitcher in baseball by that year. He's he, your ace, he, by the way. He's got, he's got, he's got so much talent. It's absurd. Um, last year, however, there were some discipline issues with him, and um, they were disappointed at how he came to camp. They didn't think his body was was ready to go, and he went on the DL three different times last season. Um, and they ended up finally putting him in the bullpen as the closer, which was a, was a nice feel-good story, and he was doing really well as the closer down the stretch, but that was only out of necessity because they knew they couldn't stretch him out as a starter uh, during his third rehab from the, uh, from the DL. So he is, uh, I mentioned Ozuna from an offensive standpoint, Carlos Martinez is the equivalent uh, big, big important question mark from a pitching standpoint because if he can return to his his all star ways from just two seasons ago, three seasons ago, yeah, you've you've got a you've got a legitimate ace, and then the number two is Miles Michaelis, uh, who gets so many first pitch strikes, uh, who's got confident command, seldom walks dudes, and had an all star season last year. That that's not a bad one. Yeah, so um, uh, I think the third starter for St. Louis will be Jack Flaherty. Um, he, he hopes to, to flirt with the 180, 190 innings this year. We'll, we'll see. He had a, a lot of quality starts for St. Louis. He's a very poised and confident young guy, uh, who, who pitched in some big games and, and they love, uh, he's got great stuff. He'll be the, if you will, the number three starter. Uh, you mentioned Michael Walker who gets injured a lot, but was having an all-star type season last year before the injury. Uh, he's, if you will, your number four. And then number five is Adam Wainwright, the the former Cy Young candidate, uh, one of the best pitchers in Cardinals history, who had one of the weirdest years ever last year where um, he started out terribly and then got hurt again and then came back. And in his mind, he wasn't revealing it to the media at the time, but in his mind, he was thinking about retiring at season's end. And then something happened in September uh, where he kind of got healthy and, and found it again, if you will. And he had just a couple starts there that were reassuring, including one against the Dodgers that he pitched his butt off in uh, that basically reminded him that he and showed him that he still had something left in the tank uh, that sent him to the, uh, the off season confident he signed a uh, ridiculously low contract, one year, a lot of um, 
incentives in there for innings pitched and things like that. And he's going to, he's going to try to make the club as the fifth starter and we'll see. But like you, like we all know, Alex Reyes is looming. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, John Gant, uh, even Dakota Hudson. There's these other pitchers in the Cardinals system who got starts last year, um, who've proven to be able to pitch in uh, in big games. Austin Gomber is a lefty, another guy. So we'll have to see what happens with Wainwright because that's, that's a huge storyline in St. Louis because he means so much to the fans. He's been a part of some of the greatest moments of this uh, century's Cardinal history, and uh, but he's not getting any younger. Yeah, he's not getting any younger at all, but he has been a big part of the organization in the past, and he'll play a role this year for sure. And like you said, Reyes is looming, and he'll get his innings, like you said. I mean, if it's like a Nathan Evaldi type with the Red Sox in the postseason this year where he's a starter one day, he's coming out of the bullpen the next, you never know. He might be you know, pitching a little bit here and there. He might end up being the fifth starter for a month or two if there's an injury, but he'll be around, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the bullpen. And speaking of the bullpen, you guys made another big move this year, this offseason. I feel like that's all that the Cardinals really did is just improve this team was you went out and got Andrew Miller, formerly, you know, the Grim Reaper, obviously was hurt, you know, not himself, that's for sure. But with a lot of rest and a new contract and a little bit off his mind with that and a good contract too, especially if he performs anywhere close to what he did in Cleveland in 2016, 11 million and 11.5. You got Andrew Miller, Brett Cecil, uh, Luke Gregerson, who I like Gregerson actually a lot. Then you have Dominic Leone, and of course you still have Reyes looming around. Mm-hmm. Who's the seven, eight, nine guy, and who's the guy to watch out for? Since you have so much talent in this pen, and because yeah. I know the big count talent is Jordan Hicks. Yeah, yeah, and then the guy that that you, you didn't name, who I think is kind of the guy to watch, is John Brebia, who I think will be a very effective uh, reliever yet again for St. Louis. He was in seventeen and in eighteen. Uh, he was strong down the stretch, especially if you look at his September numbers last year. He's a, just a good guy also, a very funny, quirky guy, good quote. Uh, and and he doesn't overpower you, but he, he finds ways to strike you out. And uh, so I, I look at him getting a lot of the seventh innings, if you will. Um, now with Andrew Miller, I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing is that for years the cardinals were like man we need to upgrade our our bullpen we need we need like an andrew miller type you know a guy that can go multiple innings a guy that's can pitch high leverage whether it's the fifth through the ninth or whatever it is if only we could get an andrew miller type pitcher well now they got the real thing in andrew miller the the caveat of course is he's coming off some injuries uh but even last year when he was struggling he still had a high strikeout rate so that's reassuring for St. Louis. So, I mean, you talk about seven, eight, nine. I mean, there'll be days where maybe Andrew Miller goes seven, eight, nine, if you will, uh, depending on the on the scenario. Uh, but but yeah, he he'll he'll be key, and he'll probably pitch a lot of eighth innings. And then Jordan Hicks, um, who was one of the, the craziest stories uh, in baseball last year. He he did he wasn't supposed to make the Cardinals roster, and on the final day of camp, he got a start. Uh, against the Washington Nationals, while uh, while the team was up, basically the, the big team was up in Canada to play the annual game in Montreal against the Blue Jays. So the Cardinals are are gone. Basically, like all the starters and and the manager and everybody are gone. The kind of leftover guys played against the Washington Nationals in this seemingly meaningless game for St. Louis, but Jordan Hicks got the start. And he was striking out Rendon, striking out Bryce Harper, owning those dudes. 
and throwing over 100 miles per hour. And the, the Cardinals folks are watching it thinking like, wait a wait wait a second this is the this isn't the minor leaguers on the on the nationals he's facing this is the nationals and he's dominating them this guy's got to be on our club so they uh they they made a a move right there uh, right then and there after that start and uh, put him in the bullpen and he he pitched on opening day out of the pen and uh had a lot of great success for St. Louis as a rookie kind of wore down towards the end but um he kind of changed the narrative of who the fastest thrower is in baseball it used to always be chapman and if, if you look at some of those sites they show the the speed of jordan hicks's fastball and he famously even hit 105 last year uh he needs to strike out dudes more he needs to uh improve his slider more yadier molina and jordan hicks pointed that out during the winter warm-up and these are these are doable things his slider was nasty later uh in the season at least more than it was in the first part of the season so yeah he's just a, a young gun a, a fireballer and uh, what a great story he's a diabetic as well he, he takes uh those shots every day, and he's been an inspiration to a lot of a lot of people in St. Louis as well. Uh, playing with, uh, I believe it's type two diabetes. So a great story with Jordan Hicks. Uh, we'll see if he can get more strikeouts this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jordan Hicks is a great story. I didn't know he's diabetic, which is a cool little tidbit. I mean, there's, I mean, being a diabetic obviously isn't going to hold you back. Max Domi out in Montreal for the Canadiens NHL. You know, mm-hmm. his dad was an NHL player. He's a you know top six NHL player. He also has diabetes, and he's a diabetic. So. It's yeah. really cool. It's something that, you know, can kind of show people, hey, a little bit different. Who cares? You can still you can still dominate in a sport and play it at a high level. Yeah. With all that there, I mean, everything seems like we said before, you know, before we get on this podcast and started and started recording, you know, we had this locked up. This team is ready to go. It's just organization at this point. One thing that also helped this team, and it was the salsa, obviously. <laughs> but you kind of fired your manager mid year. And yeah. I think people kind of forget that. An accomplished yep. manager. An accomplished manager. A former player. Mm-hmm. He's been to World Series. I mean, he has yeah. a very long resume. What was that like? I mean, that was a big twist. I mean, Austin and I were talking about before, and you know, we just want to know from a from a fan's perspective, someone that follows the team and everything like that. What was it like around the media? What was it like about the team? What was the clubhouse? Was there a meeting? Did everyone sit down and say, Hey, boys, it's <laughs> been fun? But sure. I got let go. Was it a big F you, this and that, chairs being thrown? What was <laughs> it kind of like and what was the mood around it afterwards? Because obviously it might have been a little sad for a couple of days, but then you guys went on your hottest streak of the season. Yeah, yeah. A uh, lot to unpack there. When you when you look at Mike Matheny, um, you got to put it in context with the with the history of the St. Louis Cardinals. They entered the 2018 season. They had missed the playoffs the previous two years. And not and while they were missing the playoffs, their heat their hated rival, the the, the heated rivalry with the Chicago Cubs, uh, had taken off to another level, and the Cubs became uh, a champion, and the Cardinals were slipping, and they entered the 2018 season knowing that uh, Mike Matheny needed to do something to get the team into the postseason, uh, or else uh, they would possibly make a make a change they the, the the team wouldn't say that publicly but you know as a columnist i i wrote it as such and that they that that this was his final year if they missed the playoffs and i even wrote in spring training like look if he if they're struggling in june or july i mean why why not why why stick with him um because this team has a 
has a lot of great players. This could be a 90-plus uh, win team, uh, and they clearly weren't playing like that by the time Mike Matheny was fired. So, yeah, they got rid of him, and you know, uh, Derek Gould is, is the great beat writer for the Post-Dispatch, and he wrote a great story uh, comparing uh, Mike Matheny, follow me on this, to the, uh, the old uh, basketball coach Dan Issel, who was a star with the Denver Nuggets, but then became the coach of the Denver Nuggets. And Dan Issel's uh, line was, uh, by joining the team as the coach now, I'm possibly giving up the ovations in the future. The idea of like, right now, if I walked into the arena, they'd give me a standing ovation because I'm the former star player. But if I'm the coach and I blow it, I'm no longer just the former star player. I'm the coach that blew it. And uh, that's kind of what happened to Matheny, who was a beloved catcher for St. Louis, played on many playoff teams, um, stayed in the community, of course, and then was named manager, went to the World Series as a manager. But towards the end there, things fell apart under his watch. Uh, They were making a lot of errors. Uh, There was a lot of bullpen bungling. And uh, the Cardinals got rid of him, and they promoted – a guy who isn't a famous name, but in the Cardinals' eyes, Mike Schilt was the coaching equivalent of Alex Reyes, if you will, a prospect that they groomed in their own system that they thought had major, major potential. And uh, Mike Schilt is a different man than Mike Matheny. He is um, he's very more he's way more personable. He'll crack a joke. Um, he, he tells his players, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you. That's his, his famous quote. Uh, he created a thing called ball talk before the games where he basically just opened his office door and said, guys, let's just sit here on the couches and tell stories and talk baseball. And uh, that created a good vibe around the Cardinals. And, and yeah, and it led to some winning. And they didn't win enough. They I, I can't remember how many they had last year. Was it 88 wins? Or they were in the 80, 86, 88 range. They did not make the playoffs. Uh, for the third year in a row, but there was optimism under Mike Schilt. So here we are. Then they had Andrew Miller. Then they had Paul Goldschmidt. They hope to get way more out of Marcelo Zuna. We talked about some of the young players. Uh, there was a lot of optimism here in St. Louis that the Cardinals will make the playoffs finally for the first time after missing it for three years. And the last time they missed it for three years was last century from 1997 to 1999. So you were awesome. Tell everybody where they can find your work and find you on Twitter. Sure. Uh, our website for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch is stltoday.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Hockman, at H-O-C-H-M-A-N, at Hockman. And uh, I'm always on there, always on Twitter. So look forward to, forward to meeting some new fans. All right, so Chatter's Box is a little wild this week. Stephen Bruno actually joins me to talk about the NL Central. If you don't know who Stephen is, Stephen is a recently retired Chicago Cubs infielder, so I figured he'd be perfect guy to have on to talk about all these guys. One guy in particular in his top five, he doesn't know how he did it, but he did hit a home run off of him. Stay tuned to find out who it was. Dave is actually at the end, a little bit of scheduling, like conflict there. Not really a conflict, but little interlock, but Dave's comments are at the end, so uh, enjoy it. What is your top five list in this NL Central division? It is an absolutely stacked division like we just talked about pitching-wise and even heavier probably reliever-wise than any other division. What kind of is your top five? You know, Austin, that's a a tough one. Um, I'm going to do the best I can and narrow it down. Not in any particular order. I think, uh, you know, when you you look at our lists – you know, you can you can switch names here and there, um, but I would say 
I'd say Hader's definitely on the top. I mean, he, he pretty much emerged as an as the elite reliever this past year. Um, I had experience of facing him a few years, and uh, how'd that go? <laughs> it's funny. I, the first couple of times I faced him, I don't think I saw a fastball. <laughs> Meaning he threw me a fastball and I never saw it. Um, and uh, I actually had a home run off him in spring training a couple of years ago. I think I closed my eyes and, and, and somehow made contact. Um, That's something to tell the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I would say haters up there. I don't know if it's any on on any of your list, but I think that Jordan Hicks is, is, is going to be – I mean, I know he has somewhat of a control issue sometimes, but I think he's going to emerge, especially how young he is down the road. And um, just hearing some of the interviews that he has, I mean, the guy's got a good head on his shoulders for how young he is. Um, so I think he's going to be on my list. Um, Lester, obviously, is has been elite for many, many years. And as he continue to get, continues to get older, you know, and – the le- the the uh, the less hard he throws, the more accurate he is in his location. I think that's what makes him elite. Is he dominated from a velocity standpoint early on in his career, and now he's you know he's starting to get his location down. Um, let's see here. So you have Lester, you have Hicks, Hater, you have Hater. And Which two of the three on my list, and Hicks was an honorable mention. Okay, okay. Um, you know, man. Uh, you want mine? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this name. I'm gonna say this name, and you're gonna and you're gonna you're gonna critique me. But I believe I believe you, Darvish, is gonna be on my list as well. Although I think I. You may say I'm biased for, for being with the Cubs organization, but I think he's a dominant pitcher. I think, unfortunately, what he went through last year um, in his injury and, and not being able to help the team, I think he is 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 an elite pitcher. He can dominate, um, and I think he's going to help the Cubs succeed, and he's going to be that that fourth or fifth guy that um, they need. definitely – definitely uh you know can really contribute to that organization um like i said i mean he's dominated in the past with injuries unfortunately but i believe he's he's definitely on on my list um and you got one more man it's tough this is a phenomenal division you have guys like archer michaelis i have a name that you're gonna kind of just probably be like whoa really uh like we can get to my list if you want to just try to figure out that fifth guy. Yeah, give me, give me, give me a second, I man. I, it's tough, man. You're looking through all these names and it's stacked. Um, like there's no other way to put it. Like it's it's reliever heavy as the NL East is starter heavy. Mm-hmm. Give me, give me some of the names on your list. I got you. So haters, obviously, I think everybody should probably have him number one at this point. Just because mm-hmm. even even went through some adversity last year. I mean, you know, the whole digging in people's Twitter thing happened and all that nonsense. That's a whole other topic. But, I mean, he was dominant last year. He did everything possible that he could to earn a number one spot on guys' lists. Uh, John Lester, 
model for consistency. Nobody nobody has done it better in the time stretch. I mean, he's adjusted. Still can't throw to first base, but you know, we can't fix <laughs> we can't fix everything. We just throw the glove. Uh, my Michaelis was phenomenal for the Cardinals last year. Like, kind of quietly put together one of the best Cardinal pitching seasons in the past ten years. Uh, Dave's list includes a guy like Carlos Martinez, who's extremely naturally talented. Uh, Felipe Romero, Jose Iglesias, they could kind of go hand in hand if we if we really want to talk about it, depending on like who you prefer better closer-wise. Two guys that were absolutely phenomenal for the teams that they played on last year and have the stuff and have the opportunity to do a lot more in the future. Now... An honorable mention that people are going to roll their eyes at. Like, when we make these lists, it's kind of like projecting what they'll do for 2019. I think Sonny Gray is going to have a pretty damn good bounce back year. I mean, reuniting with his Vanderbilt pitching coach, being out of New York, despite what people think, not everybody's built for New York. I mean, I think that's I think that's a fair statement, don't you think? I mean, I agree with that. It's funny that you said I forgot that uh, – uh, Derek Johnson moved over to uh, the Reds, and he was the pitching coach for Sonny Gray at Vanderbilt. I didn't, I didn't, didn't realize that. I know he was with the Brewers previously, but yeah, I mean, I think that'll help Sonny a lot. I mean, he was an absolute phenom at Vanderbilt. I mean, they—that's a factory, you know that, right? But I mean, any any thoughts? I mean, Jordan, you know what? Is phenomenal again. I I I think that. Uh, I mean, when you look at the last few years and and you look at those those analytic stats, I think that those have have emerged as you know a pretty good evaluator of uh, of you know not only offense, defense, but also pitching over the last few years. But you gotta you you can't forget Kyle Hendricks, man. Yeah, you, you really can. can't. And it's easy to get lost in the shuffle too. You know he's he is not the stereotypical new age pitcher. Um, you know he was he's a, he's a Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox type s player. Obviously with not the accolades they have yet, but I mean he is. I'm gonna go with him for number five. Um, again, I'm Cubs heavy, but that makes you know, sense with <laughs> with uh, you know with proper. Um, proof of, of how successful they were over the last few years um so i'm gonna go hendrix lester darvish hicks and hater well this goes at the tail end of the cardinals episode so the cardinals i thought about i thought about that because I, when i looked at the, the episode picture right it's you mm-hmm. and your iowa cubs hat on the bottom and uh, at the bottom of the cardinals page i was like i wonder how cardinals fans are going to react to that one but we're just going to go with it we're just going to go with we'll it go with it. we'll, we'll go appreciate it. that you have jordan hicks in there all right. Yeah, I mean, is Hater the best pitcher that you've ever faced? I would say he's the best pitcher. Yes, um, facing him a few times. Now you, you face so many good pitchers over the years. You know, maybe once or twice. Um, but I could say, man, he's he's a different animal when you step up in the box. Um, you go from you know, his wind up to how electric his fastball is, and talk about spin rate. You yeah. know, a guy that they could throw low to mid nineties that, that when it comes out looks like it's hundred and five. Um so those one of those guys that you go up to the plate and you really don't have much of an approach. The only approach that you may have is just try to make contact. And there's only been a few of those guys in my career that, that I had that approach with. So 
how do you prepare for a guy like that? Like he's not a starter. You don't know when you're going to see him. Like how does you know what? How do you get ready he for is, that? He is a guy. You know. You know. You know when I faced him with uh, Colorado Springs and I faced him with uh, Biloxi in Double A AA and Triple A and you know he he's the type of guy that before the series starts you go in and and you just try to watch video of of not only your sa- yourself facing them but other right-handed guys in the top or the way bottom of the lineup to see how they pitch him um, or how he pitches them. You know, where he's going first pitch or at what particular county he's going to throw his off speed. And you just kind of try to go off tendencies. And that's kind of how I did it with a lot of pitchers is, you know, based on guys like myself as hitters, you know, how how are those pitchers going to attack those guys um, in particular counts and particular situations. And then you build your plan off that, depending on, on how you're feeling at the plate for that particular month or week or day. It all varies, but um, he's the type of guy, man, that you just got to go up and, and try to make contact with his fastball. Do you, have to, do you ever have to face Jordan Hicks? I never got a chance to face Jordan Hicks. Um, I think he went from... I don't know what was his jump this year from rookie ball to the big leagues. Or yeah, it was. Like it was. He went like a two-year stretch where he came all the way up. It was like an Andrew Benintendi-esque pole vault, basically. A special player, man. Uh, well, I thank God that I never got to face him. Cause, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I would. I'm sure I got a K in my statistic line. <laughs> so, is there anybody that had your number, like, you know, facing them, like you just couldn't figure them out? Uh, that's a good question, man. Um, so I'm about to ask you the exact opposite here in a second. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, nobody. I think a lot just... of pitchers had my number, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't really think of anybody in particular. Um, I know it, I kind of jumped it on you too, so it's like I always had a problem facing. Um, over the last two years is when you kind of see guys more consistently playing in triple a in a, in a smaller division. Um, I always had a problem facing, uh, Mike Myers. He was, he's a reliever with the, um, with the Memphis Redbirds and he has plenty of time in the big leagues with the Cardinals, but for some reason, man, he, uh, his fastball is another one like, like Bader or like Bader or haters. That just just rose, and I couldn't get on plane with it, and I had difficulty uh, being successful against him. I did get one hit this year. It was off my pine tar on my bat. I rolled past <laughs> him, and it was an infield hit. But he was another guy that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, anybody that you that you had their number? I don't think Marcus Stroman ever got me out. Really. Yeah, we faced each other in college. Actually, played with each other in high he school. He went to Duke, right? He went to Duke. I went to Virginia. Uh, he's from the Northeast, he, right outside uh, New York City, I believe. He, we went to high school, and um, but yeah, every time I faced him in pro ball and in college, I always always had good at bats against him. Um, again, sometimes you just see pitchers well, and. You know, maybe catch them on a bad day and you had a good day, that kind of thing. So that's a guy that, that, 
that I've always had success against. Um, Hater is the next Andrew Miller. He's going to be the next Grim Reaper. He's unbelievable, and he's going to keep doing it for a while. Unbelievable year this year. Unbelievable in the playoffs. That's another reason. you got to be able to do it in both, especially if you're going to be on a good team like the Brew Crew are. So that's why he's won. Lester, the model of consistency, the guy's been around forever, has won multiple World Series, an absolute moose in the playoffs. And he is like a Tom Brady where the older he gets, he's still getting better. He's still pitching close to 200 innings. He's still going to win you a bunch of games, and he's going to keep his ERA at a very manageable route throughout the regular season and the postseason his you know psychopath takes over and he's even better uh michaelis is an up and like he's just there he's going to be a top five pitcher in the national league this year he's sick he's on a great team he's going to have great support he's not going to have to be the number one star in that team in that town which i think makes it easier for everybody involved doing it by committee with a bunch of stars is great and another star on that team is carlos martinez I think Carlos Martinez is legitimately going to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball within next year, the year after. I think he has all the stuff that people like to say. I think he just needs to learn how to control it. And I think he needs to learn how to stay in shape. There were rumblings of him being a little out of shape and a little injury prone. If you get in better shape, if you look at a guy like Raphael Devers, people are worried about him. All you got to do is just hit the treadmill and stop eating Chipotle and you know loading up on guac and ice cream all the time and he'll be fine. And the last one, Trevor Williams. I really like Trevor Williams. One of those guys that you heard his name for a long, long time, and you're finally like, okay, he's here now. I think he'll be here to stay. I think he's going to work his way up. I think he's going to be a great addition to you know, mid-round fantasy guys in that realm, but also he's just going to be a dominant pitcher, and he's going to be quietly like make himself an all-star. Yeah, Kel. And Sonny Gray, like you mentioned before on your list, I mean, he does better in smaller markets. He's going to be in a smaller market. I said if the Reds actually made some moves that they would be over 77 wins, so I'm sticking to that. I think they win 80 games this year. Reuniting with his Vandy pitching coach is going to help a lot. I mean, getting back to his roots, you know, doing the fundamental things right. You're not being in New York is going to help a lot. Yeah, it's going to help his mental state for sure. But just getting back to the little things, you lose focus in that. You lose, you lose, you know, the effort and the drive to do it as well. I mean, you saw him when he was getting rocked. Sometimes he's laughing coming off the mound. He's just like, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm so bad right now. And I think having him be a reset, he reminds me a lot of a Zach Greinke. He's a little bit of a mental case. The stuff is there, but you got to get him in the right location. And Granky found himself in Arizona, but he's every other year type of guy. I think Sonny Gray is going to get bounced back this year. He can't do any worse, honestly. But I also think getting back in the smaller market with less pressure and with familiarity is big for him. I think being in a familiar place with low expectations is better than jumping around trying to be the man. I don't think Sonny Gray is ever going to be the man of a staff. He reminds me more of like a you know, David Price. He doesn't have or, to be the man, though. That's the thing. And that's the thing. He doesn't. But in New York, he was kind of brought in to be the next big thing, right? He was going to be the number two. It was going to be Seve, Sonny, Cy Young's for the next 10 years. And it just didn't work out like that. 